And this series that we're starting today, go figure, we don't normally do this, is going to last for 11 weeks, right? We're going to take you right through the summer, okay? And it is a series that is all about Jesus. And here's what we're calling it, okay? I want to get you caught up to speed where we're going today, because what I want to do today, okay, I want to lay some groundwork. What I got to talk to you about today is kind of I need to frame in the rest of our series, So I really need you to be dialed in today. Are you dialed in? Pretty weak. Are you dialed in? Okay, I feel good now. We can go forward, right? Because what we're going to talk about is important. And we're calling this series Jesus in Between. And here's why we're calling it that. Because a lot of people know all about holiday Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of people are familiar with and really like Christmas Jesus, right? We love Christmas Jesus. Give me an amen on that. Yeah, I love Christmas, right? Manger, Bethlehem, baby, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, wise men. We love Christmas Jesus. In fact, a lot of us know a lot about Christmas Jesus, right? We know the Christmas story uh, backwards and frontwards, right? Uh, Not only do we like and know Christmas Jesus, but we also know and are very familiar with and most of us like, we're at least familiar with it, we like Easter Jesus, right? He's the holiday Jesus is what I call him, right? We know about the trial and the crucifixion and, and the death of Jesus. And, and we know about the burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's Easter Jesus, right? It's holiday Jesus. Here's the deal. Here's why we're doing this series because a lot of people get stuck in holiday Jesus. Like that's the Jesus we know. Like that's the Jesus we're familiar with. And here's what happens. There's a lot of people, and I get a chance to talk, talk to a lot of people, that's the only Jesus they know. Like they know that Jesus grew up. I mean, he was a baby, and then all of a sudden they're, they're killing this adult man on a cross, right? So obviously he grew up, but they don't know a lot about Jesus in between. And what happens when we don't know a lot about the Jesus in between, what happens when we don't know a lot about him, we kind of make it up as we go. We kind of make up what Jesus in between is like. We kind of make up what it was that he was about, what he would have said, what he would have done. And when we make it up, when we make up the Jesus in between, can we just say this? It leads us to some pretty wacky conclusions. Can I get an amen on that? It just does. It might lead us to a scenario, something like this. Amen. Amen, right? Listen, if your grace at lunch today sounds like that, we need to talk, all right? I'm just saying, all right? Yeah, here's the deal. It just kind of illustrates for us, a lot of people get stuck on holiday Jesus and who's the in-between Jesus, and we simply want to talk about Jesus in between because for some of us, we know the holiday Jesus. It's kind of like this. It's kind of how we know each other. Think think about this. We We know each other on Sundays. Right? Let's just be honest. Can we be honest right? We know the Sunday you. You know the Sunday me. But a lot of us, a lot of us don't know each other between the Sundays, right? Some of us are glad about that, right? Or like, that's how a lot of you know me. A lot of you know me because for a lot of you, you see me up here for an hour on Sunday, right? And that's all you see me, right? We don't hang out during the week. I don't run into a lot of you during the week. And so it leads some of you to ask some questions, right? I mean, I wish you could hang out with me at the door, right? Some of the questions I get asked. Uh, one of the questions I got asked not too long ago was this. I said, Pastor Dan, uh, do you work a job uh, in between Sundays? And I'm like, I, I wanted to hit the guy. I'm like, I'm like, I do. He's like, I just wondered where you work when you're not preaching. I'm like, dude, I work here. I had a, a little kid a couple weeks ago. This is what they said to me. Pastor Dan. Do you live here at the church is what they asked me. I said, sometimes it feels like it, son, right? You see, here's the deal. Many of you don't know me uh, between the Sundays. You don't know my story. And the same thing's true with Jesus. Like, we like to talk about Jesus. Like, we wear bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do, right? But for a lot of us, we're like, we're not even sure what Jesus did. And so during this series, we're just simply going to look at the Jesus in between because there's some important things about Jesus that are going to help us understand who he really was. Here's where I need to go today. And I need you to stay with me today because what I want to do today is lay the groundwork for the rest of the series. 
And today, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture you have open in your laps, and we're gonna look at three really important things about Jesus. In fact, you, I want you to dial in. These things are so important. They're absolutely crucial to you understanding the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus is an unusual and a unique paradoxical blend. A paradox. You're like, what's a paradox? Here's a paradox. A paradox is simply this. It's an apparent contradiction. It's terms that contradict each other, that when you smash them together, they bring power. So, so for instance, less is more. They seem to contradict each other, but when you really understand what that is saying, it's like that brings power to the statement. Jesus is this blend of paradoxical, apparently contradictory terms that when you smash them together, listen, helps you realize the power of who he is, and it helps you understand, listen, 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 the accuracy of who he is. It's found in John 1. I want to read a really long portion of scripture, but I want you to stay with me because if you're newer to church and just trying to figure Jesus out, this is a really important part of the Bible. If you're somebody who grew up in church, this is absolutely essential that you understand this part of the Bible that we're going to read today. John 1, 1. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, that's the word that was with God, was God, and was in the beginning. Through him, that word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Life was light of all mankind. Light shines in darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, that's the word that was the light that was at the beginning, that was God, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Seems like we ought to dial in. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The word, which word? The word that was at the beginning. The word that was with God. The word that was God. The word that made everything that is. The word that created. That word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, glory of one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Verse 16, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him know. Everybody look here. The Gospels, there are four. The second part of your Bible starts this way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then there's John. They're, they're called the Gospels, the four Gospels. They tell about the life, the story, the teachings of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin their Gospel a unique way. John decides to start the story of Jesus the most uniquely. And in this gospel called John, he begins by describing something that his audience would have understood. And this is the way he begins. We gotta break this apart. Verse one, he says, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, word was God. Everybody look here. We're like, what is going on? Here's what's going on. Greek philosophy, okay, stay with me on this. Greek philosophy said there was this thing called the word that was responsible for the origin of everything we know. And whatever that was that was responsible for the origin of everything that we know, that's what gives us meaning and purpose in life. John, don't miss this, John is saying what you guys are thinking is responsible for the origin of life and gives meaning and purpose, that word 
that was in the very beginning, that word is God. The word was God. And the word that was responsible for everything created. That's all he's saying. So John's just saying, you want to know who's responsible? It's God. He's the word. He's the, the logos is the word they would use. He's the logos, which makes it so important. You got to get this. So important that you see what John does. In verse 14, I want you to see it with me. You got to go there. Verse 14, the word, which word? The word that created, the word that was at the beginning, the word that was with God, the word that was God, that word became, what's the word? Say it out loud with me. Became what? Flesh and made his dwelling among us. Class, who is John talking about here? Anybody know? He's talking about Jesus. What does John want us to know about Jesus? There's something so important. You got to go here with me in understanding Jesus. John wants you to know this. He wants me to know this. Jesus is fully God. And Jesus is fully man. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. Jesus is completely God and completely man. Now, now let me just say this, okay? It's okay. It's okay if that causes your brain to hurt a little bit, okay? Like if it doesn't cause your brain to hurt a little bit, maybe you're not listening to me. Like Jesus is completely God, completely man. In fact, to understand that, you got to understand something. We got to go in the deep end of the pool and pop back out. If you want to understand what's going on here, you got to understand what the Bible teaches about God. Everybody look here. God is one God, the God of the Bible, one God, three persons. In fact, if you're taking notes, we'll put a picture up here. When the Bible talks about God, it talks about God like this. Kind of the term we put to it is the Trinity. Raise your hand if you heard of Trinity. Anybody heard of Trinity? Okay. This represents this, that God is one God in three persons. So the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are God. And yet they are three distinct persons. What John is saying here is this. He's saying God the Son. You with me? God the Son at Christmas time, became a man. And that when Jesus came, he's one person with two natures. The Bible is clear, gotta go here with you, in, in saying this, Jesus is completely God. When you think of God, everything that's true about God is true about Jesus. Everything that's true about the creator is true of Jesus. That's what John 1 is saying. So important. You're like, why are you making a, a, a big deal of this? Look here a second, because not everybody teaches that. Not every church you will go to believes that. I got to camp here for a second. I'm not picking on those who don't. I'm just saying not everybody does. And you're saying, well, how do you know? Well, Jesus makes it really clear that he's God. You're saying, how does he make it clear? Don't have time to go there, but write this down in John 8. In John 8, they keep asking him a question. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And this is what he says, right? This is what he says. He says, think about this. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham lived thousands of years before Jesus. And so they're like, who are you? And Jesus, you guys aren't with me, I can tell. Imagine Tom comes to me and he says, hey, Dan, who are you? Imagine if I said to him this, hey, Tom, before George Washington was, I was. Y'all would think that boy's crazy, wouldn't you? Like, you'd look at me like, what are you talking about? Jesus looks at them and he says, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't even say I was. He said, I am. Go to John 10, and, 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 and they're trying to kill Jesus. They're trying to stone him. You read the story on your own. Why are they trying to stone Jesus? Why are they trying to kill him? When you read John 10, the reason they're trying to kill Jesus is because he made no bones about the fact that he was God. That's why they're trying to stone him. You go to the apostle Paul later in the New Testament, we'll throw it on the screen, Colossians 1. He says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Jesus, him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He, Jesus, existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Jesus is completely God. Now listen, listen. But he's not simply completely God. Jesus is completely man. Completely man. In fact, it's important that you know this. We sing a song at Christmas time. See if you can recognize this. Away in the manger, right? And eventually, you know the song? Shake your head like you know with me, right? Eventually it says, there's this baby lying in a manger and no crying he what? You don't know the song? No, you want me to sing it? I'll sing it if you don't know it, right? No what? No crying he makes. And I'm not sure that's all that accurate. Like sometimes we make up this Jesus that existed like a robot, and it's like he was human. And I'm not sure it's accurate that he didn't cry as a baby. You know why? You know why? Babies what? Babies what? Babies cry. I had my grandson at my house yesterday. Babies cry. I always find it interesting, and I'm not mad about it or anything, but like my wife, when baby Corbin goes to sleep, she's holding baby Corbin. Corbin wakes up and he's hungry. Here, Pappy, you take him, right? And I got the crying baby. Babies cry. Jesus was completely human. Here, I like the way a guy named Max Lucado says it. And some of you have heard that name before. He's a great author. He does in a book called God Came Near. He says, one thing is for sure. Listen, Jesus was, while completely God, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He got colds, he burped, had body odor, his feelings got hurt, his feet got tired, his head ached. Then he says this, and some of you are struggling right now with this. He says, to think of Jesus in this light, well, it's almost irreverent, he says. It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation, Jesus. We want to clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend he never snored, blew his nose, or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier for us to stomach that way. There's something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, predictable. But he says this, don't you dare do it. For heaven's sakes, don't do it. Let Jesus be as human as he intended to be. You see, why, why, why are we hanging here for a second? To understand Jesus, we gotta understand he's fully God and he's fully human. Some of us in the room, we like the divine God at the expense of the human Jesus. So when we think of Jesus, we kind of think of this kind of Jesus, right? The stoic, halo behind him Jesus, right? I mean, when you look at it, he doesn't even look happy, does he? Right? He doesn't look like a guy maybe you could relate with. I mean, we think of him and it's almost distant and it's stoic and it's like, I'm not even sure I can relate with that. Others of us, we like to think of a human Jesus at the expense of a divine Jesus, right? Right? And this is more where our culture's at today. We like a groovy Jesus, a cool Jesus, right? A hipster Jesus. And yet the Jesus of the Bible is completely God and completely human. Everybody look here a second, which begs the question. You're like, man, Dan, we're really hanging there for a second because we have to. We have to. I've said this before from up here. What you believe about Jesus is quite frankly, the most important thing about you, in my opinion. Like, you don't have to agree with me, but I, in my opinion, it's the most important thing about you. And John says he's completely God, completely human. Well, the question is this, so what? So what? Everybody say it out loud. So what? Well, I'd be happy to answer that question for you. Why in the world does it matter? There's three reasons it matters that Jesus is completely God and completely human. And they're found right here. Look at John 1. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. Everybody read the the last phrase out loud with me. Here we go. Has known. Here's what it means. The, the, The Greek word there is where we get the word exegete. You can forget that, but it's pretty important. He's saying that Jesus exegetes God to us. Here's all that means. 
Jesus explains God to us. In fact, if you're writing this down, here's why this is important. Jesus is God explaining himself perfectly to us. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is showing us what God's like. He's telling us as we watch and understand Jesus, like how Jesus would react, what Jesus would do, what Jesus would think. Here's why this is so important. In John 1.18, it says, Jesus exegetes God to us. Now stay with me on this. You're like, exegete sounds like such a, a weird word, right? We don't, you probably don't use that in your uh, common language, right? Exegete. But if you do my job, you, you would. Because, now listen, this is so key. There's two ways, two ways people interpret the Bible, One way is to exegete it. You're like, okay, help me understand that. Here's what it means to exegete it. You draw the truth out of the Bible. What does it mean? And you draw that out. There's a second way that you can read your Bible and you can eisegete it. You're saying, what does that mean? You can read whatever truth you want to read into it. Right? One's right, one's wrong, right? Like, I'm going to say, what does it mean? What does it really mean? I want to know accurately what it means. That's exegete. To eisegete is for me to come and say, ah, I think this is what it means. I think this is what I want it to mean. Why is it important that Jesus is God explaining himself to us? Because Jesus is exegeting what God is actually like. And the reason that is so important is we live in a culture where many eisegete God. And we come up with our own idea of what God's like. We think, oh, this is what God would do. This is what God would think. I think God would feel this way about this. I just saw it on the news the other night. I watched a news commentator that if I said his name, 75% of you would know who I'm talking about. And they're talking about a hot topic. And they're going back and forth, he and his guest. And eventually he looked at his guest and he said, there is no way God would feel that way about it. And I'm like, he he wasn't even close to the God of the Bible. And he said, I think God, and he began to say all these things that he thought God would feel and think about this particular topic. You see, Jesus shows us exactly what God's like. Can I tell you this? If you want to know what God thinks, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God would say, look at Jesus. If you want to know who God would hang out with, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would react, look at Jesus. Can I tell you this? When Jesus showed up, he surprised a lot of people. I think if Jesus showed up here, he might surprise a lot of people. You see, Jesus is the perfect explanation. God went to great lengths to explain himself, but he didn't just go to great lengths to explain himself. Look back at John 1. I want to show you something. Verse 14. The word became flesh and, read the yellow out loud with me, made his dwelling among us. I've taught you this before. Some of you maybe weren't here when I did it. That word, this part of your Bible was written in Greek. You can forget that. That word literally means this. He pitched his tent with us. I love that. I wish it said it that way right there. It's it's saying this, that, that God put on flesh. And when the Bible talks about our body, not just here, it says that our bodies are these tents we live in. Here's what he's saying. God came tent camping with us. I love that. That when Jesus showed up, he decided to pitch his tent with us. He lived the human experience. He knows what it's like. He decided to pitch his tent in the middle of inclement weather of being a human being. I I was, uh, when I was young, I went, I don't remember what we called it, but it was this like boys club thing, right? How many were in Boy Scouts or something like that? Raise your hand, anybody? Yeah, I, mine wasn't Boy Scouts, probably didn't have that way back then, I don't know, but uh, I was in this boys club thing, and uh, they would take us, I was like 10 or 11, they'd take us, I lived in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and uh, they would take us hiking, and we would have tents, and you know, no matter if it's cold, rainy, whatever, you're building a fire, eating out over the open fire, and you're living in the tent. 
But you know something? I went on a couple of these excursions, and some of them lasted a few days, some of them a week, and I began to notice something, that as nighttime fell, and it got cold and rainy, and we'd be hanging out up in the mountain together, I noticed that at a certain time of the night, all of a sudden, the leaders would be gone. And I began thinking, I wonder where they're going, because we're like freezing up there, it's raining, the tent is leaking, it's like terrible, right? It's like awful, And I began to think, where are the leaders? Until one night we went looking for the leaders and the leaders, when the weather was bad, would go down the mountain and stay in the cabin. Go figure, right? Yeah. And I'm like, you dogs. I can't wait to be a leader is what I thought, right? Listen, we do not have a God staying in the cabin. That's what he's saying to us here. That literally he went tent camping with us. I'd write it down this way. Jesus is not only God explaining himself to us, he is God empathizing with us. The incarnation means that we have a God who understands. This distinguishes Christianity from all other major religions. It helps me understand Hebrews 4. It helps me understand what happens when I pray. Look at this, Hebrews 4. Some of you need to see this today because some of you are hurting. I can see it in your eyes. So then, since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who's entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Look at this. Jesus, this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So what do we do with that? Come boldly to the throne of our, that's prayer. Come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Guys, listen to me. We talk to a God who understands. That's, that's what he's saying. The, the, the other day, I, in my office, I mean, I, I get a chance to talk to a lot of different people, and uh, I was talking to a, a lady who's gone through this awful journey of cancer. I mean, she's scared and worried, and she's in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, her and I have been communicating, and she's probably listening, and I want to say hi. I told her I would say hi because um, she listens online. And uh, I just wanted to help her and pray with her. But there was a moment that captured my attention. One of my staff members is somebody who, several years ago, quite a while ago, walked the very same journey this lady presently is walking. And my staff member who walked that journey and this lady had never met And this staff member, she simply peeked her head into my office before I met with this lady. And there was this instant bond. Instant. They looked in each other's eyes because walking the same journey, tears began to flow. And they almost, without saying words to each other, say, I know. And they hugged each other. It was like, it was a moment, I just stood there. I'm like, y'all don't even need me. I mean, what was going on there was beautiful, it was profound, it was incredible, and she said, listen, I know you're afraid, don't this, don't that. I mean, I can't remember all she said, and the woman's like, yes, yes, and you know, and you know, and it was amazing. When I read this, it's like every time I pray, I walk into the presence of a God who's like, I know. Well, I I know, but I, I know. And there's this moment that happens in prayer that is profound and beautiful, You see, the reason this matters is we have a God who totally understands. But there is something else really, really important that sometimes gets skipped. And it's in the book of Hebrews too. And I gotta show you this. You ought to write this down. Check it out on your own. It's one of my favorite passages. I read this a lot of times at funerals and things like that. Hebrews 2 says this. Since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. And free those who live all their lives held in slavery by their fear of death. Surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human. Jesus, fully human in every way. In order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest. Just talked about that. And, and, don't miss this. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Look here. Jesus is... God explaining himself to us. Jesus is God empathizing with us. And Jesus is God exchanging places for us. You can't miss this. 
Jesus is God taking our place at the cross. We have a God who stepped in our place. He took what we deserved. Why did Jesus become a man? Listen, God became a man so he could be our savior. So key. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now that's not all. I want to show you something else. I want to show you something else about Jesus that is so important. And, and quite frankly, what I want to show you about Jesus, okay, I'm not, I'm not picking here, but I think a lot of times church-going Christians can miss some of this. You with me? So I, I, I'm not picking. It's not me being critical. I'm just saying it can be easy to miss what's going on here. Verse 14, word, that's Jesus, came flesh, talked about that, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jump down to verse 16. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What's he saying here? I want you to write it this way, and then i got to explain this to you. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Sounds like a paradox. I need to explain this to you to understand Jesus. Jesus is completely full of grace, completely full of truth. Jesus isn't 50% grace, 50% truth. Jesus is fully grace, fully truth. Grace is all about me receiving what I don't deserve. Truth is about the truth of reality as it is. Jesus is the eternal expression of the heart of God. Now listen. It makes John 1 come alive. You've got to do the hard work with me. Look at what he says in verse 4. Jesus, the one who's full of grace and truth, it says this. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's what I want you to remember. Jesus is life and light. Say it out loud with me. Jesus is life and light, which helps me understand he's full of grace and truth. He is light and he is life. He is truth and he is grace completely. Let's start with light. Let's start with light. You got to understand this, okay? Some of you grew up in church, have read this a ton of times, like, ah, it just sounds weird to me. We got to understand with light. Light in our culture is cheap. We think of light cheaply. We just do. If you walk into a pitch black room, the first thing you're looking for is what? The light switch, right? I mean, that's how we think of light, right? Or, or we don't even look for a light switch. Some of you are like, you do? Some of you are like, millennials are younger, right? Nope, just pull my cell phone out, and what do I do, right? I got a flash. Light, we think of light cheaply. You see, you don't understand the importance of light until you've been in the dark where there is no light. You ever been in a room or outside pitch black and there's no light whatsoever? Raise your hand, ever been there? Yeah, it's scary. It's amazing how scary it can be. It's amazing how, how you can become unnerved and lose your, where you're at and your navigation. It's amazing what you can run into. Darkness can be hard to navigate. Darkness can be hard to find your way. Without a light, it can be scary. You can begin to stumble. I found this out a couple months ago. A couple months ago, I, on Sunday nights, I get to hang out with some of the coolest people, right? A bunch of young adults, 7 o'clock. If you're here, age 19 to 28, come hang out with us tonight. But we, we do crazy stuff, play volleyball and stuff like that. But I don't know how long ago, a couple months ago, we're like, hey, what do you guys want to do? Let's mix it up a little bit. And uh, did I say they're 19 to 28? Did I say that? Okay. They said, let's play hide and seek, right? Can I get an amen, right? That sounds fun. I'm like... 19, is, but uh, let's play. Let's play in the whole church. I'm like, that sounds cool. They, but, but they kind of made a rule. And the rule was this. All the lights are out. And you and Jennifer, that's my wife, you're it. You got to come find us, right? I'm like, nothing worse than a dark church and two old people trying to find you, right? And so they went and hid. And, 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 and we began looking for them. 
And I'm going to tell you something. I don't remember finding any of them. I remember walking in this. This place is creepy in the dark, by the way. Just give you an amen, right? But, but I'm walking in this room. I don't know how many of them were in this room. I walked all over the place in this room. I ran into chairs in this room. I had some of them, after it was all done, say, you stepped right over me in this room. And I did not see a one of them. In fact, some of them we still haven't found. They're still hiding. We're not sure where they're at, right? You see, darkness is scary, and what happens, what John is saying is this, is that Jesus, when he came, he brought light into darkness. Don't miss this. So important if you want to understand Jesus. Some of us don't like this part of Jesus. Got to know this part of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus, another preacher said this. He was talking about when Jesus would be born. He said, people who walk in darkness, they're going to see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Literally, how you translate that deep darkness is the land where death casts its shadow. What he's saying is, is that mankind stumbles in the dark and Jesus is the light. Here's how I would write it down. Jesus is the light that reveals the truth. I want to tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is the light that reveals the truth. He reveals the truth about me, about God, about life. Now, somewhere in your notes, I want you to write this because you know it to be true. Light almost always hurts before it helps. Here's what I mean. Go with me here. You spend all night sleeping in the dark, right? I like to sleep in the dark. You wake up in the morning. I get up about four o'clock in the morning. It's still dark, right? And so what do I do? I turn on the what? The light. What happens when you first turn on the light? You're like, ah, that hurts, right? You tracking with me? Why? Because when light shines in the darkness, if you've been hanging out in the dark all night, the first time you shine the light, you're like, ah, that hurts my eyes. And then you look in the mirror like, ah, what happened overnight, right? Because light leads to help, but it more than likely hurts before it helps. You see, here's the deal. Jesus is the light that reveals the truth. And the reason some people don't like that part of Jesus is they just simply like the dark. That's why John says this, light has come into the world. People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Jesus is the light that reveals the truth and he also is the life that heals with grace. You see, here's the deal. Jesus is the light that reveals the truth of who I am, who God is, what life's all about. And even though when I shine that light, it, like, it might show me things I'm not that comfortable with. It might show me things that are messy in my life. It might show me that it's when I begin to walk into that light that all of a sudden I realize Jesus is the light that leads to life that heals with grace. Why is this so important? I gotta say this and we gotta roll on. This is why some of you in the room struggle with Jesus. Because you want a Jesus that's full of grace but not full of truth. And you will never heal from what's real in your life until you let the... Jesus, who is truth, reveal what's true in your life. It's why Jesus doesn't make sense to some of us in this room. It's why the good news called the gospel isn't that good news because we don't let Jesus reveal the truth of how bad the news is that he's walking into. You see, Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. And for a lot of us, that's hard to compute because our human relationships aren't that way. Uh, Pastor Adam found this really cool chart, and if you like this kind of stuff. But most of us can find our relationships on this chart. A lot of us know people, we have people in our life that they're the lower left corner. They don't have a lot of grace nor a lot of truth. They're checked out. They're really not that involved in our life. I would dare say this, 
a lot of us love having people in our life that are in the top left quadrant. We like people who are all grace, no truth. They hang out. Just hang out. Oh, you're good. You're fine. Don't worry. Everything's great. High grace, no truth. Some of us had parents like in the lower right quadrant. Low grace, high truth. They spend all their life calling us out, pointing out what's wrong. You see, Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. And he didn't come to just hang out. He's not a God who's checked out. Jesus didn't just come to call people out. But he came to invite people in. And only those who step into the light of his truth will find the healing of his grace. Only those who step into the light of his truth will find the healing of his grace. Which leads to the last thing and then we're done. In John 1, I've got to show you this. In John 1, you've got to see this. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born of natural descent, nor of human will, but born of God. Look here and we're done. Here and we're done. You might be here today, and some of you are, probably more than likely. And, and you might be sitting here like, I don't know that I believe in God. Like, I get, I get these conversations, like, but I'm checking things out. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here. So let's set that on the shelf for now. Because most people, even that I talk to who don't believe in God, will at least sit here and attest to the fact that there was a historical Jesus. That Jesus existed is a historical fact. There's documentation. There's proof. There's evidence. Jesus lived. <laughs> like, like, you don't even have to go to the Bible. And, and, and you know Jesus was a historical figure. And what John is saying is this, is that when it comes to Jesus, I either fully receive him or I fully reject him. You're like, wow, Dan, that's kind of rough. Not meant to be rough, just meant to be honest. You see, what I want you to know, Grace Church, as we close today, is this Jesus we're getting ready to unwrap for the next 10 weeks never gives us the option. He doesn't give you the option of being neutral. Jesus doesn't give us the option of saying, I kind of like Jesus, he's a good teacher, moral dude, good religious leader. Jesus never gives that option. Jesus is like, either I am who I said I was, or I'm the biggest fraud who ever lived, or I am a nut job. But if I am who I said I am, then it necessitates a response. But what Jesus would say is this, either I recognize he is who he said he is and receive him, or I reject him. That's what Jesus said. Some of you are here and you're like, I don't know what I think about Jesus. Can I encourage you to come the next 10 weeks? Can I just encourage you to come? Like, you don't have to be convinced today. That's not my goal. But I, can I just tell you this, that Jesus said, I am fully God, fully human. Like, if you want to know what God's like, some of you have a mixed up view, an eisegetic view of Jesus, or of God. And Jesus says, I'll explain God to you. I'm a God who understands you. But here's the important thing. I'm a God who 
who died in your place so that you could be forgiven of your sins, have a relationship with God, and a hope of heaven. I don't know what you're banking on, but have you ever recognized that Jesus is exactly who he said he was? Can I ask you this? Come on. Some of you grew up in church and, and don't tune me out. Have you ever stepped into the light of his truth so that you could experience the healing of his grace? Have you ever allowed the light of his truth to reveal so that the life of his grace could heal? Jesus didn't come just to hang out, cool, groovy Jesus. Jesus wasn't like this fundamentalist yelling, calling people out. Jesus said, listen, truth and grace completely shows up. But it's only when I allow the light of his truth to reveal what's true that the life with his grace begins to explode in my life. That's his invitation to all of you. I can already see in some of y'all's eyes. Some of you are sitting here this morning, you're like, Dan, I've said yes to Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Can I just ask you this and then we'll be done? Do you and are you truly following Jesus? Like truly following Jesus? You're like, Dan, what do you mean? If I'm reading this right, Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. And to fully follow Jesus means that somehow I'm going to follow him in a way that I allow grace and truth to emanate from me. Can we be honest in the room? Can we be honest for two minutes here? That as followers of Christ far too often... Some of us are convicted, listen close, lean in. Our culture needs this today. Some of us are convicted of truth at the expense of being kind. I would suggest to you that these are churches who yell at people and they yell at the world for being the way it is. These are followers of Christ who post their sermonettes on Facebook so no one can dialogue with them. This is bumper sticker Christianity that just says, you think it's hot here? Try hell. Really? Truth that doesn't demonstrate grace. Listen, I'll get an email on this and I'm okay with that. Truth that does not demonstrate grace is no truth at all. Jesus was full of grace and truth. I was reading this book. I'd recommend it to you. It's called Onward. It's by a guy named Russell Moore. He said years ago, he was serving as this preaching pastor in a church, and he was approached by an 11-year-old in his congregation who wanted to introduce his friend to Pastor Moore, his friend's name was Jared. Jared was on the soccer team, had never, ever, ever been to church before. After a few minutes of talking, Jared told the pastor that he needed prayer, that his dad had left and he didn't know what his family was going to do. He wondered if the pastor would pray that God would put mom and dad back together. Pastor Moore said, I prayed with him. And then I watched. I watched as Jared turned to go back to his seat. He just happened to be wearing a shirt celebrating the inauguration of a president who was unpopular with most of the people in my mostly white, blue-collar congregation. As I watched this young man, Jared, walk down his first-ever church aisle to hear the gospel, perhaps for the very first time, I listened as a middle-aged man walked past him and huffed out loud, we need to get you a better t-shirt, young man. Pastor Moore was incredulous, and he said, I wanted to yell, as would I. I wanted to yell, he's lost, he's wounded, he's hurting, he doesn't know Christ, and you're worried about his t-shirt? 
I wondered how often he said, I've done the same thing, how often I fought the fight I saw in front of me instead of the one that was really there to be fought. Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You need to come next week. Come next week. Come next week. Sometimes we can be convicted of the truth at the expense of being kind. And we can try to win all the arguments and fight all the battles. And we can even have a country that embraces Christian values. And I think there's a part of Satan that's like, I'm okay with that. Come next week. The truth is, as followers of Jesus, I find in working with younger people, the pendulum shifted the other way. And some of us can be kind at the expense of being convicted of the truth. We live in a culture where we got to adapt, right? Things are changing. People are marginalized. And so we try to be kind at the expense of being convicted of the truth. And it's just like we want to just get our arms around and be kind. And the phraseology, I don't want to judge nobody, has kind of become the mantra And yet, guys, listen to me, listen to me. Kindness that is not willing to be truthful is not kind. It's not kind. If your little child was running out into the road in oncoming traffic, for me to not say, stop, because I didn't want to offend her, it's not kind. You see, the truth is, Jesus somehow was full of grace and truth. Convictional kindness loves people enough to tell them the truth. I'm always amazed. I I don't know why I'm going to go here. I'm just going to do it. I'm always amazed when we get close to election time. And how many people tell me what they want me to say up here? I ain't going to do it. So save your breath, okay? Because they want me to talk about and rail against and be this. And, man, I've had people give me some fired up suggestions. And, and, And we have a choice, guys. We can either sit here and rail against the darkness or we can turn the lights on. And I choose to turn the lights on. And I want the lights to shine bright on Jesus. And you know what? When they do, our world will see that he was full of truth, not compromise, and full of compassion and grace. And so, God, we're done. We're going to run into this series. And we want to see Jesus, hear from Jesus, follow Jesus, learn from Jesus, know Jesus. And God, I pray for some in the room who have never said yes to Jesus. And if that's you, right now in your seat, you can say, yes, Jesus. I believe that you are the one who stood in my place, died for my sins. And this moment, I want to say yes. And John says, that moment you become a child of God. That moment right now. And if that's a conversation you had, I'd love to hear from you somehow. There's a whole bunch of us in this room. We'd say we're followers of Jesus. And yet, if we looked at our life and allowed the light of Jesus to shine, some of us would say, man, we are so convicted of the truth, and yet we have not been kind to our neighbor, our coworker. We're a bit judgmental. And maybe others of us would say we are so kind that we haven't been truthful. And we've told nobody about you and nobody about the good news of the gospel. So God, help us to follow Jesus, truly follow Jesus, who's full of grace and truth. Thanks for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.